Let's talk about families today. As we continue our series, and I think it's much needed on your home, your castle. How many of you know what it's like for the heat to be turned on in a relationship? Yeah, been there. Jerry and I clocked 55 years, as you heard me say the other day, just last month, by God's grace. And that's amazing. Amen. And as I keep saying, that's probably more to her credit than to mine. I've I've been blessed to have an incredible wife, great family. But everybody wants their marriage, their home, their relationships to succeed. And on that note, did you know that we actually have here at Inspire a marriage ministry? Some of you probably didn't even know that. We do. We provide premarital counseling, uh, marriage and parenting classes, coaching. Uh, There are marriage groups, and it's all under the auspices of the ministry Inspire Us. You can go to the website or you can go to the website. Uh, Lobby after the service, there will be people there, Guest Central. You can go there too right after the service and and you can find out about everything that we have coming up. Um, I want to turn to the book of Ephesians. I want you to open your devices or look at the screen. And we are going to go today where Pastor Andrew left off a couple of Sundays ago. To the fifth chapter of Ephesians, that incredible passage of scripture the apostle paul is writing i'll just have to say before i get into the word of the lord you look awesome today folks amen you look great it's going to be a great week for all of us ephesians 5 25 husbands (laughs) notice who he's directing his remarks to immediately Love your wives. Every woman that loves that, say amen. Amen. Yeah. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Here it is again. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. How many of you know God cherishes and loves you? Amen. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, number three, he's going to mention it again. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. A different instruction to her. I want to unpack some of this. And Father, I pray today that you will help us to hear your word at that level that goes beyond intellectual comprehension. And let us grasp your word with our hearts. 
Let it speak to us revelationally. Because when we just grasp something that's intellectual, it might or might not change us, change our thinking. But when you impact us with a revelational word from God, it has the capacity and the potential to change our lives and speak creation again into us and restructure and reform the things in our lives to represent the teachings and will of God. And we ask that you would do that this morning. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. Right off the bat, I'm going to tell you a couple things. It will get a little bit quiet in the message today. But I need to establish something. Marriage was not your idea. It was God's. Notice in these verses how the Apostle Paul goes all the way back to the beginning when God created man. In the book of Genesis chapter 2 to the very words that God spoke in verse 24 of chapter 2. When he instituted marriage and he says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become, say it. One flesh. You know what that means? That means that since God spoke that and set in motion the process to make that happen, that marriage is God's idea. It's not man's. Marriage is not something that people invented to help humanity survive in a hostile and difficult world, nor is it a societal adaptation to need a governmental decision, a civic requirement that the government can use to make sure citizens are all neatly sorted into the proper little pigeonholes where they can keep track of them, nor is it a design of culture. Marriage is something else altogether. And it was created by God for many reasons, and that is incredible news. And I'll tell you why. Because if God designed it, that means he has a plan for your marriage because there's absolutely nothing that God does that is not intentional, deliberate, and thought out. He doesn't do anything that's random or inconsequential. In fact, God is so intentional that when he speaks a word or does something, have you noticed that it hits so many things at multiple levels, accomplishes so many things? That while you're focused on the one thing that affects you, it's doing all kind of other stuff at the same time. If you stop and look at God's word, he alone has that capacity or that ability to do that. Psalms 92 verse 5 says, Oh Lord, how great are your works. And then this phrase, your thoughts are very deep. Now I love the Passion Translation and I read it a lot in my personal devotions and I like to pray it back to God. Some people argue that it's more an interpretation. That's fine. I use that along with the New King James Version and and read many versions. Many. I've got a ton of them on my phone. In fact, I'm in the process of reading through five versions of the Bible right now at the same time in my devotions. So I could compare one to the other, you know. And I love what the Passion Translation says about your thoughts are very deep. It says depths of purpose and layers of meaning 
saturate everything you do. Wow. Everything God does has multiple levels levels of meaning and depths of purpose. And then the very next verse, Psalms 92 and 6 in the New King James says, A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. And this is what the Passion Translation says about that. It's kind of like the Amplified. It expands it quite a bit. Such amazing mysteries found within every miracle that nearly everyone seems to miss. And those with no discernment can never really discover the deep and glorious secrets hidden in your ways. God, let me see your ways. Know your heart. Not just see what you do. Israel saw the acts of God, but God revealed to Moses his ways. And God is so wise that one act or word of God impacts boom, 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 boom. At different levels. Marriages like that. And you might not even realize it. And I want to talk, tell you why today. It's far more than just you and your companions saying I do. It was about a lot more than that. In the beginning. And from the beginning. When God created marriage. He intended for every home in marriage. To be a little bit of Eden on earth. That's right. And I love this because I'm consumed by it in my studies now. That one of the original mandates given to man was not only to have dominion in the garden, but to subdue earth and expand Eden by extending God's dominion rule throughout the earth. Man's responsibility was to subdue the earth and bring it under God's governmental authority. And by using your home To expand Eden. Think about it. What God is doing is opening up avenues of access for his spirit. To reach into our world. On every block. In every community. In every city. In every country around the world. God wants Eden expanded. Through your home. And you see. Most of us don't realize That God's presence wasn't in Eden because it was a garden. Eden was a garden because God's presence was in it. Think about that. And when God expands Eden, incredible things happen. He turns according to Isaiah 35 and 1. The desert will blossom like a rose. It suddenly turns into a garden. The Bible begins in a garden, ends in a garden, and has a garden sandwiched right in the middle of it. Between the two testaments. Everywhere his presence is. Turns into a garden. His glory accompanies his presence. And his intention is to fill the whole world. The earth with his glory. That's what the Bible said. Said the day is coming. When the whole world will be filled with the glory. The knowledge of the glory of God is what it says. God wants to expand Eden. Look at your neighbor and say, through you, would you do that right now? But unfortunately, rather than relationships mirroring this fact, you know what many of them reflect? Trouble. Whoa. Part of the reason that is true is due to the confusion about what marriage is supposed to look like biblically, right? All these ideas out there now. 
And the other reason, I don't even have time to unpack that, is clearly spiritual. The enemy is attacking families and marriages like never before in the history of the planet. And I firmly believe there's an anti-family spirit out there. There is. And no doubt part of the fierceness of his attack is due to the fact he knows his time is short. Time is running out. But here's what's significant. In both the book of Joel and in the book of Acts chapter 2, the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is directly linked to families being intact. Listen to what it says. That he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh is what the Bible tells us. And that when it came to you, he would pour it out for the promises unto you and to what? Your children. And to all them that are afar off. And so what happens? When God impacts a family and salvation comes to a home. Like it did to Zacchaeus. Today salvation has come to your house. Hey, that's like a giant meteor splashing in the ocean. And waves begin to be generated that wash up on the father ashore. And the first people swept up in that wave are your family members. Then your extended family. And your friends. And on and on and on. And Satan knows this. So his determined efforts are concentrated on making sure that doesn't happen by attacking the family. And you might even ask why families matter in the economy of God. And why God chose to do this through families. It's simple. Families create a ready-made structure for God to communicate his word and his presence through. Nobody's impacted by your testimony like those of your own family. Why? Because when you get saved, I need somebody to tell me whether this is true or not. Nobody sees what happened in your life the way your immediate family members see it. Because they know what went on behind closed doors. Everybody else got to see what happened out there. But your family knows just how big your conversion really matters and he knows that that's why 50% of the marriages are failing right now in America Satan is trying to undo the effectiveness of the home as a means of communicating Eden, God's presence God's gospel salvation to a broken world and we don't even have to talk about the people that are hurt the most are the kids And so, boom, the chain, the connection is broken between what God does for you and the next generation. Chain is interrupted. And some of you are saying, wow, I wish I'd known more about how to make a marriage work years ago because mine failed. And I realize that there are people sitting out here, and i got to say this as I get into this a little deeper. We understand. God understands. He still loves you. Nobody in this building understands the trauma of a broken home like somebody that has lived through one. Been through the breakup of a marriage. In fact, I could call you up right now and say, preach the rest of this and you could do it better than me. Because you've been there. You know what it's like. And so my intention is not to make anybody feel bad, but rather to tell you, help me help others. Amen. We love you. You're going to make it. God's got plans for your future. Yes, he does. 
God's not forgotten about you. He still knows your name. You're still incredible. God knows who you are. And he loves you still. But let's help those who haven't had to experience that. That the enemy's intention is to make sure they do. He wants, God wants your marriage to be blessed. And, and look, I'm going to say this. Marriage is a beautiful thing, but right up front, I'm going to tell you, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. Amen. Amen. Jerry, there was another couple in the first service that just today had their 55th wedding anniversary in the nine o'clock service. And I wish I would have known I would have given them a shout out. Anybody else been married over 50 years? Let me see your hand. Anybody out there? Whoa, bless you. Awesome. And I really hope every family in this place makes it to that milestone. But ask anybody who's been there. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. Let me ask you this. I leave this afternoon. I'll be passing through Amsterdam. And there is a museum right in the airport that shows some of the old world masters. And if you own one of the old world paintings, one of the Renaissance masters, bear in mind they're worth millions. I mean many millions. A little one can be worth $40 million. Now, if it had a little frayed place on the canvas at the top, would you throw it away and say, it's not worth anything. I'm going to burn it up. Garbage. Take it out. Put it by the road. No, I kind of doubt it. Or what about your lawns right now, guys? Got any brown patches in your lawn? All this heat? You're not going to burn your house down because of that, are you? Why do people throw away marriages? Because they have a few problems. When it's worth a lot more than a Renaissance painting. In fact, I I want to prove what I'm talking about. This is a $20 bill. And I used only a 20 rather than a 100 because somebody would want the 100 no matter what condition it was in, right? But now let me do something. Now, what is this? Still a $20 bill. Okay, wait a minute. I would tear it, but it's against the law to deface U.S. currency. So what is this now? Still a $20 bill? You don't want it because it's not perfect anymore, right? Anybody want it? Okay, come get it. Somebody, here. There you go, big guy. Yeah. All right. And some of you, even though it was only 20, were saying, I wish I'd gone up there. Everybody goes through stuff in their marriages, problems. Marriages go through cycles. Did you know that? They also go through phases. There are five phases in a, a marriage that makes it. We've lived through every one of those. The first is realistic love. That's the first two years. That's when she opens the door and you scent the perfume and you're, whoo, baby, come talk to me a little while. I'm not even going to go any further than that. And that's when you have fallen in love with who you think that person is. 
And then in the third through the 10th year is realistic love when you find out who you're really married to. And you have to fall out of love with who you thought you were in love with to fall in love with the one you're really in a relationship with. And then there's comfortable love, which is the 11th through the 25th year. And that's that stretch where you're raising kids and you got soccer games and all of that kind of stuff to go to. And so you wave at each other in the morning and you both go in different directions, right? Yeah. (laughs) You know what that's about. Amen. And then there's renewing love, which is the 26th through the 35th year. On an average, I mean, don't get your clocks out, your timers out and start keeping exact time. And that's whenever the kids move out and you look across the breakfast table and you say, who are you? Because life is always in a state of flux and you're constantly changing. Now you got to get to know that person. And fall in love with them. Amen. And I'll say because of that, don't ever let your kids come between you and your companion. Never. Amen. Never. You know why? Because they're going to grow up and move out someday. You, I know I am. Thank you. Amen. It was you and her or you and him before they came along. And by God's grace, it's going to be you and her or you and him after they're they're going on their way. University, marriage, kids, grandkids, the whole thing. Then there's transcendent love. And that's 36 years and thereafter. Jerry and I crossed that bridge so long ago, I can't even see it in the rearview mirror anymore. But it's there. And one of the things you learn is in transcendent love, we're staying together no matter what. Some things are not worth fighting over. That was one of the most important lessons I've ever learned. Don't fight over everything. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. If you don't know that your marriage goes through these phases and you pass through the first two years of passionate, hot love, like, oh, she just entered the house. Lock the doors, pull down the, the curtains and, you know. If you don't know that there's another phase after that when that one wears out and she begins to feel, feel or ex- feels and experiences the same thing. Next thing you know, you're singing the old song from the first Top Gun movie. You've lost that love in feeling. And you think it's over. No, that's not the solution. There are other stages after that. Your marriage is a metaphor of your relationship with Christ. It is an earthly representation of what Christ for us and his relationship looks like. And why you don't ever walk out of a marriage. And there's some reasons I know I got it. I got it. I got it. You don't get to vote on everything. It takes two to make a marriage work. Got it. And some of you live through the breakup of a home. And for some of you, it was the other person's fault. And some of you, it was yours. And if it was yours, I'm teaching you this, not to beat you up and make you feel bad. There's grace. Thank God. Thank God for amazing grace. Amen. But 
you do want to know how to avoid that the next time. And I will tell you this. Your marriage is supposed to be a covenant. And remember, just a few weeks ago, I finished a series on covenant. And we had the two piles of sacrifices here. And you walk through them with the person you're entering into covenant with. In a figure eight, you start out back to back and end up face to face. And the reason you use that figure eight is because a figure eight doesn't have a beginning, doesn't have an end, does it? And your relationship is not supposed to end either. And I can prove it. Because if marriage is a reflection of what our relationship with Christ looks like, let me ask you this question. Will Jesus ever leave you or walk away from you? I didn't hear you. Wait, a little bit louder. Will he walk away? No, he'll never walk away. Amen. Of course not. Marriages can last. And how do you make that happen? They can not only last and survive, but they can thrive. And that's God's intention. And today God wants to do something in somebody's home. At the very least to equip you with how to leave here today with a different perspective. Help you get through what you're walking through right now. And maybe at the end of this service, impact your life so completely that it changes everything. Because he knows how to do that too. The first secret, of course, to a great and lasting marriage is to understand what love means. You say, well, we all know that. I'm not so sure. Not so sure. Not so sure at all. Only got just a little bit longer, but I will tell you this. It's more than an emotion like most of us have been taught to believe it is. They sing a love song, right? Violins, the whole thing, whatever. And our heart goes like this. We almost go into AFib. That's not love. That's a heart problem. (laughs) Can I get real with you? What you need is somebody to go zap you. Oh, thank you. I needed that, man. That was horrible. Don't want to ever live through that again. No, don't base your relationships on how fast the heart goes pity pat. Watch this now. Husbands are being commanded in three different places in these verses to love your wives. And on the surface, isn't that rather a strange command if love is just an emotion? Love your wife. Love your wife. Love your wife. How can I command my emotions to do anything? You can't. It's kind of like that text in Deuteronomy 6. And I'll say this. And boy, do I have to rush. Deuteronomy 6 and 5. You shall. This is God speaking. This is one of the commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with. Say it. All of your heart. With all of your soul. And with all of your. Yeah. But Jesus said in Matthew 22 and 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your... Uh Uh-oh. Is there a problem with the translation? Did Jesus get it wrong? Because Deuteronomy 6, 6 says heart, soul, strength. Matthew 22 says heart, soul, mind. Mind, strength. What's the problem here? It's not one. You see, Jesus is the living word. He didn't misquote this. 
But what this really means is your strength is in your mind in the way you think. Can I hear somebody say amen? I tell you all the time, change the quality of your thinking if you wish to change the quality of your life. You'll never have a different life till you change the way you think. We usually say all four words. Love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We got all the bases covered. But what God is really asking is how are you thinking? Because if you focus on the negatives all the time and little secret, actually, guys, we don't hide it real well. That most of us have a tendency to focus on problems. You know why? Because God made us to be fixers. Jerry and I have had more misunderstandings during the year, years over this one thing. I'm just being candid with you. If she tells me something, I think she means for me to fix it. And she doesn't. Just shut up and listen. Let me get it off my chest. Don't try to fix it. But you bring me a problem, I think it's meant to be fixed. And if all you look at are problems, you know what? You reach for your tool pouch every time. And there's some stuff you're not supposed to fix. God has to. I wish you could help me by saying amen again. Amen. If you focus on the positives, which is what God does in us, he will present to himself a church without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. And I'm almost embarrassed. Who, me, God? I know all of my imperfections, or at least a lot of them. But he says he's going to present me without any. Come on, Lord. Come on. I got a ton of them. And I probably have more water that's passed under the bridge and still remains to go under. You have to work fast. But you see, that's what grace does. Grace covers. Amen. So what is love? A few more minutes only. I love Calvin and Hobbes. Anybody love Calvin and Hobbes? Put this up. He's got this little... He's a precocious six-year-old. He's got a stuffed tiger that comes to life because he has a vivid imagination. And then there's Susie, the neighbor's little girl, same age. And she says, hey, Calvin, are we near a slaughterhouse or did you forget your deodorant? (laughs) And he says, drop dead, Susie, you're so ugly. I hear your mom puts a bag over your head before she kisses you goodnight. And the next frame says, it's shameless the way we flirt. (laughs) I'm just like kids, doesn't it? And then he asked his tiger, Hobbes, what's it like to fall in love? And Hobbes answers, well, say the object of your affection walks by. And Calvin says, yeah. And he says, first, your heart falls into your stomach and splashes your innards. And then all the moisture makes you sweat profusely. And he said, the condensation shorts the circuits to your brain and you get all woozy. And when your brain burns out altogether, your mouth disengages and you babble like a cretin until she leaves. Amen. 
And Calvin says, that's love. And Hobbes says, medically speaking, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And Calvin said, heck, that happened to me once, but I figured it was the cooties. Amen. (laughs) He's clueless, right? But you know, really about as clueless as a lot of us. In addition to being an emotion, real love is a decision. And I close quickly with seven things. A decision. John 3, 16, God made a decision based on his love for us. A decision. Cultures and other parts of the world have proven this over and over and over again. Over and over again. In America, the West, we fall in love. We're walking out. I fell in love. You know what my advice is? Get up. Amen. You know why? Because that feeling, as I said a while ago, is only the first phase of a relationship. Now, you want that. You need that. Not belittling it. But do you know in many parts of the world that marriages are actually arranged to this day? Did you know in China and in India and in that region of the world, it's common to arrange marriages and, and parents pick out the bride for their son. You say, that would never work. Really? Okay. Hmm. Did you know or do you know what the divorce rate in India is? Anybody have any idea? It's 7.4 divorces per 1,000 marriages. That's 0.007.4. No, 0.007. Yeah, 4. 7.4 divorces per 1,000 marriages. Want to know what it is here? 500 out of every 1,000. Know what it is in China? It's 3 out of 1,000 marriages. Why? Because they're taught... That when you get married, make a decision, make it work, this is supposed to last. And I'd like to remind you that the Middle East where Jesus and Paul and all the others came from, that wasn't the West. Number two, real love is also a commitment and that means it's a covenant. And to make a covenant work, you've got to forget there exists any other options. I wish I could hear a loud amen to no other options. What do I mean by that? Close the other doors. If you keep an option open, you will always be tempted to walk through that door. Yes, even the Bible says it in Hebrews. If they admit called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. Anytime you keep options open, you're going to be tempted to exercise them. So not now, not in front of everybody, but when you get home, pull this out, delete all the old phone numbers. Get rid of the emails, addresses, And the other addresses and close the door. I need somebody to high five 
somebody else and say, close the door. It might be an air high five if you're not comfortable making contact yet. Number three, real love is risky. You say, man, I'm kind of afraid to make a commitment like that because suppose it doesn't work out. Yeah, it is risky. It's like walking on a high wire. And sometimes the other person is shaking the rope. You know when the best time to mitigate risk is? Before you act. Don't wait until you get married. And then say, you know, I want to fix this. I'm going to deal with these risks. You see, one of the problems is, is that we get in relationships, guys, we think she's always going to remain the same. And she thinks she's going to change us. Good luck with both. Don't look, then leap. Or leap rather than look. Look before you leap is what I'm saying. Amen. Number four, real love is conditional. I said that wrong. Oh, Lord, somebody's going to walk out of here. Delete that. Amen. Real. I love preaching to this church. Amen. Real love is unconditional. I could be cute and say I was just trying to catch you. Real love is unconditional. Aren't you glad God's love for us is unconditional? Did you know you can't be good enough to earn his love or bad enough to lose it? Not saying you will always have his approval, but he will always love you. Whitney Houston were here, she'd sing it. Right? Real love is also sacrificial, it isn't selfish. Read 1 Corinthians 13. One of the things it doesn't do is keep score. You did me wrong. You did me wrong again. You did me wrong third time. That's it. I'm going back to mama. Real love is forgiving. It's more than an emotion. It's a decision to also forgive. And isn't that what really the cross is all about? And number six, real love is determined. It doesn't quit. It doesn't give up. And all you have to do is look at the nail prints in his hands. And there it is. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Tall order. And you've heard me say it before. You know, I mean, I've been blessed. Here I am at this stage in my life. And I've got an incredible woman that knows how to cook gumbo. I am blessed. Amen. Now, that means something. Don't quit. You will be tempted to along the way, but you just don't do it. Why? Revert back to point number one. Real love is a decision. But the emotion is not there. Real love is a decision. 
It will come back. Only in a different form that is more permanent, more lasting, and more enjoyable. Amen. And then finally, real love is godly. It is sanctifying. Christ will present to himself a glorious church, as I said earlier, without spot or wrinkle or blemish. And as I've already pointed out, every one of us know we're far from that. So what does that mean? Because if anybody can see your imperfections, surely it's the one who sees everything. His eyes on the sparrow, the hairs on your head are numbered. Run your comb through your hair. He knows exactly how many you lost that day. Exactly. But real love is sanctifying. Because instead of seeing my imperfections, he sees them covered and perfect by his grace. And by accepting me unconditionally and loving me through the process, I am now free from condemnation to outgrow the imperfections. Amen. I love what Ephesians 5 and 27, guys, come on out. Ephesians 5, 27 really says this in the original where it says that he might present to himself a glorious church. The word might is not even there. Might is not even in the original. The reason that this is important and significant to me is might is used to express Potential or possibility and where something could be. But it also expresses an element of uncertainty. That he might, that means it's not sure yet, not settled. He might present a glorious church. Might, he might, really? No, that's not what this is saying at all. The actual Greek word doesn't have might there. There's no uncertainty about it. And this is the good news. And I want to close with this. Every one of you that are in the, under the blood of Jesus, your names are written in heaven. There's no might about it. Somebody ought to say, thank God. He loves me. He's committed to me. I'm going to make it by God's grace. And what it says is in the original, instead of he might present, it says that he will present. And the word present means place beside. In other words, take the might out. And what it means is, is he's going to place you beside him without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. It's predetermined, already decided. He's going to place you and me beside him. And what's that a reference to? That's a reference to the fact that we get to rule and reign with him. We're going to be beside him. You, you're going to stand beside him without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. You, you, me, every one of us without any imperfections. I know what you struggle with, but God said he's going to present you to himself without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. And you're going to stand beside him. And I love it because it didn't say stand in front of him because then we'd probably interpret that like, oh, that's the judgment seat of Christ. No, we stand beside him. Stand with me if you would. I want our prayer counselors to come if they would right now. 
And I really want to see a breakthrough in families today. Prayer counselors, would you come join me? Amen. God wants to heal some things in some homes today. God wants to fix some things. God wants to fix some things in some of us men. Back to the point that I made earlier three times. Paul says, love your wives to the men. Love your wives. Love your wives. Never said that to the ladies. He said, respect your husband. You know why he didn't tell the wife to love the husband? If you love her, it's built into her nature to love you back. Amen. Amen. But on the other hand, they live with us. (laughs) And so what he does tell them is respect. Because the one thing, guys, you and I are looking for all the time is respect. Paul says, respect your husbands. Now, there's some forgiveness that needs to take place today. I felt so strongly in the first service this morning that there were people who actually came to church today. And I really believe that it was the Lord that spoke to me. That we're saying, I'm getting a divorce before the service this morning. Before I go there, every head bowed right now. If you're watching this at home, listening to it in your car, you can participate right now. We would love for you to do. If you're here today and you need Jesus in your heart, raise your hand right now, wherever you are. Come on, raise them up. God bless you. Keep raising them. God bless you. Keep raising them. God bless you. Keep raising them. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you all the way in the back. God bless this precious couple. God bless you in the risers. Keep on hands going up. Father, come into our hearts. Save us. Wash us in the blood of Jesus. Cover us with your blood. Forgive us of our sins, which are many, too many to count. And let us be clean and pure in your eyes. Fill us with your spirit and your presence. We surrender our hearts and lives to you and make you our Lord and Savior. And everybody shouted and said, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give those who just prayed that prayer an applause. You have taken your first steps in the kingdom. Do three other things. Number one, be be baptized in water. Number two, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number three, become a disciple. I write a devotional every day. You can text to that number. We can't do it for you. And you can worship with 2,000 other families every Sunday or every day, not just on Sunday, together and come to the foot of the cross studying the same passages. But now... I want to pray for you. Would you come join me right now? Families, come. I want to pray with you. There's going to be breakthrough in this place today. Somebody needs a miracle. Whoever that was that said, I'm done, I want you to come pray with me right now. Folks, come pray. Families. You say, Pastor, you preached all of this and I'm single. What I preach today will help you when you get married. Amen. Let's move in close. Come on, keep coming. 
They're coming down the aisle. Move a little closer to the front. I need you, Lord. Guys, how many of us want to be a man of God in our home? Let me see your hand. I want to be a priest in my family. I'll be a priest to my children and my grandchildren. Young people, that's right, come to. You don't intend to stay single the rest of your life, probably. I want to pray over you. Amen. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I want you first to put your hands over your hearts. Now some of us have some stuff in there that needs to be getting taken out. That we need to get a hold of and pull out of there. Some of us need to go home today and just simply say, forgive me. I haven't always been the best. I'm not talking about going into some lengthy dissertation about every mistake you've ever made and blast her out of the water for the rest of the remainder of this year. No. Just say, God, help us. Say that. Come on, say it from your heart. God, help us to extend your presence in this earth. Be Lord of our home. Come on. Be Lord of my house. Come on, ask him that. Be Lord of my house. I need your help in my family. I need your help in me. I need your help in me.